While the attendants had been thus setting things straight, the gentleman had repaired to the common parlour. The appearance of common parlours of the kind is known to everyone who travels. Always they have varnished walls, which grown black in their upper portions with tobacco smoke, are in their lower grown shiny with the friction of customers' backs, more especially with that of the backs of such local tradesmen as on market days make it their regular practice to resort to the local hostelry for a glass of tea. Also, parlours of this kind invariably contain grimy ceilings, an equally grimy chandelier, a number of pendant shades which jump and rattle whenever the waiter scurries across the shabby oilcloth with the trayful of glasses, the glasses looking like a flock of birds roosting by the seashore, and a selection of oil paintings. In short, there are certain objects which one sees in every inn. In the present case, the only outstanding feature of the room was the fact that in one of the paintings, a nymph was portrayed as possessing breasts of a size such as the reader can never in his life have beheld. Our traveller removed his cap and divested his neck of a party-coloured woollen scarf. Having unfolded the scarf, the gentleman ordered dinner, and whilst the various dishes were being got ready, cabbage soup, a pie several weeks old, a dish of marrow and peas, a dish of sausages and cabbage, a roast fowl, some salted cucumber, and the sweet tart, which stands perpetually ready for use in such establishments. Whilst I say these things were either being warmed up or brought in cold, the gentleman induced the waiter to retain certain fragments of tittle-tattle concerning the late landlord of a hostelry, the amount of income which the hostelry produced, and the character of its present proprietor. Nevertheless, not all the questions which the gentleman asked were aimless ones, for he inquired who was governor of the town, who president of the local council, and who public prosecutor. In short, he omitted no single official of note, while asking also, though with an air of detachment, the most exact particulars concerning the landowners of the neighbourhood. Which of them, he inquired, possessed serfs, and how many of them? How far from the town did those landowners reside? What was the character of each landowner? And was he in the habit of paying frequent visits to the town? The gentleman also made searching inquiries concerning the hygienic condition of the countryside. Was there, he asked, much sickness about? Whether deadly fevers, fatal forms of ague, smallpox, or what not? Yet, though his solicitude concerning these matters showed more than ordinary curiosity, his bearing retained its gravity unimpaired, and from time to time he blew his nose with portentous fervour. After dinner the guest consumed a cup of coffee, and then, seating himself upon the sofa, with behind him one of those wool-covered cushions, which in Russian taverns resemble nothing so much as a cobblestone or a brick, fell to snoring. Aroused eventually by the waiter, he at the latter's request inscribed a fragment of paper with his name, his surname, and his rank, for communication in accordance with the law to the police. And on that paper the waiter, leaning forward from the corridor, read, syllable by syllable, Paul Ivanovich Chichikov, collegiate councillor, landowner, travelling on private affairs. 
The waiter had just time to accomplish this feed before Paul Ivanovich Chichikov set forth to inspect the town. Apparently the place succeeded in satisfying him, and to tell the truth, it was at least up to the usual standard of our provincial capitals. After inquiring of a gendarme as to the best ways and means of finding the local council, the local law courts, and the local governor, should he, Chichikov, have need of them, he threw around him a comprehensive glance, as though to fix in his mind the general topography of the place, and betook himself home. There, gently aided by the waiter, he ascended the stairs to his bedroom, drank a glass of tea, and brought the day to a close with a portion of cold veal, a bottle of pickles, and a sound sleep. The following day he devoted to paying calls upon the various municipal officials, a first and a very respectful visit being paid to the governor. This personage turned out to resemble Chichikov himself in that he was neither fat nor thin. Also, he wore the ribbon of the Order of St. Anna about his neck, and was reported to have been recommended also for the star. For the rest, he was large and good-natured, and had a habit of amusing himself with occasional spells of knitting. Next, Chichikov repaired to the vice-governors, and thence to the house of the public prosecutor, to that of the president of the local council, to that of the chief of police, to that of the commissioner of taxes, and to that of the local director of state factories. True, the task of remembering every bigwig in this world of ours is not a very easy one. But at least our visitor displayed the greatest activity in his work of paying calls, seeing that he went so far as to pay his respects also to the inspector of the municipal department of medicine and to the city architect. Thereafter he sat thoughtfully in his britchka, plunged in meditation on the subject of whom else it might be well to visit. However, not a single magnet had been neglected, and in conversation with his hosts, he had contrived to flatter each separate one. As a result, the governor had invited him to a reception the same evening, and certain other officials had followed suit by inviting him, one of them to dinner, a second to a tea party, and so forth and so forth. Of himself, however, the traveller had spoken little, or if he had spoken at any length, he had done so in a general sort of way, and with marked modesty. Indeed, at moments of the kind, his discourse had assumed something of a literary vein, in that invariably he had stated that, being a worm of no account in the world, he was deserving of no consideration at the hands of his fellows, that in his time he had suffered much in the cause of truth, that he had many enemies seeking his life, and that, being desirous of rest, he was now engaged in searching for a spot wherein to dwell. Wherefore, having stumbled upon the town in which he now found himself, he had considered it his bounden duty to evince his respect for the chief authorities of the place. This and no more was all that, for the moment, the town succeeded in learning about the new arrival. Naturally, he lost no time in presenting himself at the governor's evening party. First, however, his preparations for that function occupied a space of over two hours, and necessitated an attention to his toilet 
of a kind not commonly seen. That is to say, after a brief prosprandial nap, he called for soap and water, and spent a considerable period in the task of scrubbing his cheeks, which, for the purpose, he supported from within with his tongue, and then of drying his full round face from his ears downwards with a towel which he took from the waiter's shoulder. Then he posted himself in front of the mirror, donned a false shirt front, plucked out a couple of hairs which were protruding from his nose, and appeared vested in a frock coat of bilberry-coloured check. Thereafter, driving through broad streets sparsely lighted with lanterns, he arrived at the governor's residence to find it illuminated as for a ball. Barouches with gleaming lamps, a couple of gendarmes posted before the doors, a babel of postillions' cries, nothing of a kind likely to be impressive was wanting. And, on reaching the salon, the visitor actually found himself obliged to close his eyes for a moment, so strong was the mingled sheen of lamps, candles, and feminine apparel. Indeed, so dazed was Chichikov that he scarcely realised that the governor was taking him by the arm and presenting him to his lady. Yet the newly arrived guest kept his head sufficiently to contrive to murmur some such compliment, as might fittingly come from a middle-aged individual of a rank neither excessively high nor excessively low. Next, when couples had been formed for dancing, and the remainder of the company found itself pressed back against the walls, Chichikov folded his arms and carefully scrutinised the dancers. Some of the ladies were dressed well and in the fashion, while the remainder were clad in such garments as God usually bestows upon a provincial town. <laughs>